18th, Audrey Assad's coming. Um, you need to buy a block of tickets and you need to invite your friends. How many of you guys went to the war room when we all went together, a bunch of us? Come on, I know there was more than that because it was packed. Come on. All right, so when I ask you a question, if the answer is yes, you raise your hand. How many of you went to the war room? Very good. So anyway, we have 500 plus people show up. There's something that happens when we all come together. There's this, not only was it a great movie, there was just this community and we all hung out in the lobby and we just had a great conversation. Look, that's what goes on. When we do something like the Audrey Assad concert, um, she is an amazing recording artist, uh, won Dove Awards, just, she's phenomenal. Buy a block of tickets, invite a few friends, come. Let's just pack the house and let's just have some com good community together. We've invited St. Paul's to participate with us, which is a pretty rare thing when a church like us and a church like them, whatever that means to you, um, come together to bring Audrey aside. It just shows you the kingdom of God at work. So let's just be here and have a lot of fun. So get your tickets today at the information counter. Bring your friends. It's going to be um, awesome. That means that if you're in junior high, you can go down to your room right now if you haven't already. So Roots, you're dismissed. Bulletin, make sure you read it. There's a ton of stuff going on in here. People put a lot of work into communicating um, to you through the bulletin. You can also go to gracewire.com and, and kind of click on a virtual bulletin and see what's going on. Uh, a few things to bring to mind. The men um, are meeting tomorrow at Buffalo Wild Wings. Um, it's really just a casual thing. They get together and eat too many wings and, and hang out, but it's a good way for you to get to know a few men. Um, the fourth, the women are having an event called Brave. So women, you should, woohoo, that's good. I don't know what that means, but woohoo. Uh, the fourth, so you can come to that. And then uh, the next morning on the fifth, the men have what they call the lunch, which is a great breakfast. They get breakfast from the pancake house. So you get that thick, awesome bacon. So if you don't come for Jesus, come for the bacon. And Jesus will be there anyway, so you might be surprised. Um, but anyway, come on the 5th, guys. It's also a great way to connect. Hey, when you look in your bulletin, there's this little card. We call it a connection card. Um, this is how, this is a tool for you to communicate to us. So if you have a question about grace, a question about maybe something I said, about a ministry, if you fill this out, we make a commitment to get back to you within the week. Uh, but we also really, really want you to fill this out if you're new at Grace, just so that we were new, so that we knew that you were here. So uh, I'm pretty sure that was bad English, but fill out the card. Um, that would be great. So happy Thanksgiving. Amen. Yeah. Hey, um, more so than ever this year, I've had lots of conversations with people who are struggling um, with Thanksgiving, struggling with the holidays coming up, loss of a loved one, um, just maybe what it reminds them and their family stuff. And um, it just reminds me that this could be a hard season. And so I just want to encourage you. Um, God is in that, that you just take that to the Lord, that he'll show up. And so my prayer for you as your pastor is just that you would still have the ability uh, to connect with God, to experience God, even in the midst of uh, what may be a difficult season. I also want to encourage you not to, to do that alone. If you are struggling, um, we would love to be able to just journey with you. You can call us. We'll set up time to sit with you. I'd love to sit with you. We have an incredibly... Um, good counseling center. Some of that just needs to be talked through. So uh, don't feel like you're all alone in it. But um, that was kind of a depressing Thanksgiving welcome. But I hope you're having a great uh, Thanksgiving. We just finished last week the series we called Foundation. Uh, we really walked through for eight weeks the, the different areas of our lives that we need to be rooted or grounded or have a solid foundation in order to walk out our faith with God. And I don't know if you know it, but when we do a series like that, we usually put them together in what we would call a box set. So you can buy this 
uh, at the information counter, and you'd have to order it today or at the CD counter. It's $20, it includes um, all of the discs and this cute little package. It could be a good gift for somebody if they're trying to figure out their journey with God. A lot of great um, basic stuff that we need to walk out our faith. Um, but these are available. Other series are available. You can get a tape. You can also get any of them online as well um, for free. So I'm not sure that was a very good sales tip. So you can pay $20 or you can get them for free online, whatever you want. But you don't get a really cool box when you go online. And it's not neatly packaged one through eight. So, hey, last week we asked the question, what is the church? And uh, if you remember, we're, that was kind of the, the last of the foundation series. And we talked about how important the church is to our foundation. You can't do this thing alone. You need the church. And one of the things we discovered is that the church is a family. Uh, even though it's a complicated family, and even though it's sometimes a dysfunctional family, um, it's still a family. And, and one of the things I really wanted you to hold on to from last week was this idea that God is your father. That Jesus is your brother. And if you just meditate on those two truths, if you really uh, get to the place where you know that, like deeply know that, it changes everything. Knowing that God is your father, knowing that Jesus is your brother, and, and all that comes with that is a, is a pretty profound reality that's worth seeing into. So we discovered that church is a family, but we also discovered that church is the answer. Church is the answer to the issues that are facing us internationally, that are facing us as a country, that are facing us here locally, even in our, our own problems in Metro Detroit. The, the church is the answer to all that. The church is the answer to the, the problems that your family's facing, to your own struggles and, and your own journey. The church really is the answer because the church is Christ's body. It's what he will use to get the gospel to us. And the gospel is life. And the gospel is is what brings healing into our lives. So the church is the answer. And today we're gonna kinda continue on that same journey of understanding uh, what is the church? Why is the church so important? And, and why is the church the answer? We're gonna see today that it's not just the answer, but it's um, more powerful than we can ask, think, or imagine. So grab your Bibles and your readers, whatever you use at home to study, and turn to Ezekiel. That's right, I said Ezekiel chapter 47. Ezekiel chapter 47. In the Old Testament, if you're new to the Bible a little bit, right in the middle of the Bible is Psalms. You just go uh, three books over. So Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah, Jeremiah, you get to Ezekiel. While you're looking for Ezekiel 47, let me put this passage that I'm about to read into context. So Ezekiel is a prophet, and he has been taken captive by the Babylonian Empire. So when the Babylonian Empire rolled into Jerusalem and they decimated Jerusalem, they, they tore down the city, they burned the city, they, they demolished the temple, and they killed a lot of people. But the people they didn't kill, they basically kidnapped them, and they took them back to Babylon as exile. So you have Jeremiah, you have Daniel, you have Ezekiel. They're all prophets of the same era, and they're all taken into exile. And and, and, but we got to get to really understand the passage I'm about to read. You have to kind of visualize this era in Israel's history, in the Jewish people's history. You know, their, their whole life centered around the temple and, and around Jerusalem. And now Jerusalem has been burned and destroyed and the temple knocked down. And, and surely friends and family had been killed. And they're basically slaves in a foreign country. And, you know, there's probably no more depressing difficult time for the people of Israel. And, and so it's in the wake of all that, that that Ezekiel has this vision. And what I want you to realize is that if you were 
an, in exile and you heard this vision, it, it might be the only thing that you hold on to. There's, a, there's hope in this. There's a, a picture of something better to come in this. And sometimes that's all you have is that picture of what's ahead. So that's, that's kind of the, the landscape, if you will, for this incredible vision that the prophet Ezekiel has. So we're going to read verses 1 through 12, chapter 47. It says, The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me through the north gate and led me around to the outside, to the outer gate facing east. And the water was trickling from the south side. Verse 3 is the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand. He measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through the water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits, led me through the water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through the water that was waist deep. He measured off another thousand, but now the river, it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and it was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, what do you, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region, goes down into the Ataba, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures live wherever this river flows. There will be large number of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Angeri to Angalam, and there will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea, but the swamps and the marshes, they will be, not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both the banks of the river. Their leaves, they won't wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Quite a vision. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray right now as I uh, unpack this amazing vision that you gave Ezekiel, I pray that you would just give me wisdom, that you would give me your words, that you would guide these next uh, few minutes. I pray uh, the prayer we pray every Sunday, that people would leave different than they came because they interacted with the living God. So use my words, use the worship, use uh, the, the good work. Uh, that reflected as he led us in worship. Just use all of that to change our hearts and make us new. In Jesus' name, amen. So what does Ezekiel's vision 2,600 or so years ago have to do with us today? The question is, is it even relevant to us? Is it relevant to the church? And one of the first questions we have to answer if we're going to make sense of this, this vision is, is the vision literal? Is it a prophecy of something that's actually going to happen? Or is it a, uh, meant to be figurative or metaphoric, if you will? Because if, if it's literally going to happen, it means something different, right? If it's, if it's actually going to be this temple and actually going to be this river, it's completely different thought process. But I believe, and a lot of scholars agree, that the vision is meant to give us a metaphor, or a graphic description of the church, of the kingdom of God. It's a portrait, and a powerful portrait of that, of the church. 
And what we have to do in order to understand the vision is we have to kind of take it apart and we have to understand the different elements of the vision. We have to understand all the different things that are going on and ask ourselves, well, what do, what do each of these mean? And so one of the main things through this vision is water, right? We see a water that, that's flowing and we see this water doing this amazing work. And, and so the question we can ask ourselves is if this is metaphoric, if this is symbolic, then what does water mean? What does water usually symbolize in the scriptures? And more often than not, when you see water in the scriptures, it, it, it stands for cleansing, or it stands for life. It's a, it's a picture of cleansing. It's a picture of life. Think about it this way. Even when we do baptism, right? What is, what is baptism representing? It's representing being, being uh, buried and risen again and the water flowing over you, creating new life. And now we know the baptism doesn't actually save you, but it's an act of obedience to testify to the world that you've been buried and risen again with Christ and you have new life because Christ lives in you. There's something about the water that symbolizes life. The first time we really see water in the scriptures, apart from the creation story, is the flood. And think about it. The flood represented something new. The flood actually represented a cleansing of evil. God sent the flood to to do away with evil, to give a new start, a new beginning, to give new life to humankind. So water and life, they're like inextricably connected. They're, they're, They're common in the scriptures to be the same thing. But I think it's fascinating that it's true with science as well. Science and water understand this this strong connection for life. That's why there's such a strong desire to find evidence of water on other planets. So as I was reading this week and and digging into this one particular point, I found this this quote from NASA. So NASA, who's who's working on um, the Mars probe, says, because water is the key to life as we know it, early Mars missions were designed to follow the water. Progressive discoveries related to the evidence of past and present water in the geographic record make it possible to take the next step towards finding evidence of life itself. Science even knows that life and water are interconnected. Water equals life. So we see it in in the Old Testament. We see it with, with the stories in the Old Testament. We see it in science, but we also see it in the New Testament. So Jesus himself, he spoke about water in a couple of different conversations. So he was with the woman at the well. You remember that long conversation? Actually, that's one of the longest conversations we have with anyone in the scriptures is the woman at the well. But, but he's sitting with the woman at the well, and he says in John 4, 14, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, water I give them will become in them springs of water welling up to eternal life. The connection of water and life is there. And then when Jesus was standing in the temple, remember, and he was talking to the crowds, this was at the Feast of the Tabernacle, he says to the people, he says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, rivers of living water, living water will flow from within them. By this, he, Jesus, meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. The power of John 7, the passage that I just read, is it serves us as an important part of interpreting this vision of Ezekiel. The best way to interpret Scripture is with Scripture. 
right? So the more you know scripture, the better you're gonna understand what the scriptures are saying. That's why it's so critical that you not just read little bits of scripture and take them out of context. The more you know the complete story of the scriptures, the more you see the, the landscape of the entire scripture, the more you're gonna be able to bring understanding to what the scriptures say. And here we have Jesus giving us a clearer understanding of what Ezekiel was saying some 600 years prior to that. So my opinion, the opinion of commentators, the, the opinion of great theologians that have, have written, the opinion of those podcasts you listen to, they're all pretty important. They're all gonna help you along the way, but you need to understand the word of God. You need to study the word of God and you need to put what you're hearing in context and see if it lines up because what'll happen is somebody will take something out of context and they'll make a whole theology out of it that doesn't fit with the rest of scripture. But scripture is our best interpretation of scripture. So John 7, verse 38, Jesus says, as the scriptures have said. Well, the obvious question is, well, what scriptures is he referring to? And, and all scholars really agree that there's no question that one of the scriptures is the Ezekiel 47 passage. As a matter of fact, the way Jesus words it, there's no doubt that the people listening would have known that prophecy. They would have known that amazing picture. Remember I told you that they were in exile. Now they're not in exile, but they would have remembered this this amazing picture that was painted of, of life coming from the temple. And it would have been on every Jewish person's mind of the day when this actually happened. So when Jesus starts talking about it, they would have immediately thought of, they would have, they would have gone there in their own minds to say, oh, I know what he's talking about. He's talking about the river that flows. And so just to be clear, is this a metaphoric or a literal prophecy? Jesus tells us, it says, by this, he meant the spirit whom those who believe in him would later receive. The word later there is referring to the after the resurrection from Pentecost to this very day. So John 7, 37 through 39 serves to give us understanding and interpretation of Ezekiel 47. What it tells us is that when you put your faith in Jesus, right, don't miss this, when you say yes to Jesus, and you, you trust him with your life, then the spirit of God actually takes residence in you and it guides you, it directs you, it gives comfort to you, all these amazing things. But there's, a, there's another aspect to this that's coming out of this vision of Ezekiel is that the spirit of God is to fill you, but not just for you. It's supposed to fill you to the measure of overflowing so that the spirit of God is actually pouring out of you and, and inter, interacting and, and having an impact on the people around you. The spirit of God should be so full in you that when people are around you, that life-giving thing that you've experienced is giving life to the people around you. That's the economy that God is offering. That's the picture that Ezekiel is painting for us. So Ezekiel is talking about this river that, that's flowing. And, and so the river represents the spirit of God moving through us individually. But then think about it, all these little rivers individually coming together to make this bigger river that should be flowing from the church. So that's what the, the river means. But we have to ask ourselves, but then what is the temple, right? Because there's this temple that's being described in detail actually in, in Ezekiel. Well, what is the temple? Well, who did Jesus say the temple was? What did Jesus say about the temple? In Mark 14, 58, it says, we, he's talking about the disciples, heard him, Jesus, say, I will destroy this temple, pointing to the temple that, that was there in Jerusalem, made by human hands, and in three days, I will build another not made with hands. He also said in John two nineteen, 
destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And we know that he's talking about himself. Both of these images together make it clear that Jesus replaced the need for a physical temple, that he is our temple, that the work of Christ became the temple. As a matter of fact, he says, if you tear down this temple, I will build one not made with human hands. What does he mean if it's not made by human hands? It's something completely other than it's Jesus himself. He is the temple represented in this amazing vision of Ezekiel's. The temple is Jesus himself. The river that flows is the life-giving spirit of God. But go back to the vision. Like, think about the vision because there's something pretty profound going on. Right? This is a picture of the church. The church that Jesus said to Peter, remember, on you I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. That church, the church that was launched after the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. This is a picture of the church. Look at the second part of verse 2 of, of Ezekiel 47. It says, he's talking about the water. He says, and the water was trickling. As the man went eastward, he measured out his line at hand. He measured out a measuring line in his hands. He measured off a thousand cubits and led me through the water. And now it was ankle deep. A thousand cubits is about 1,500 to 1,600 feet from a trickle. And when I think about a trickle, I think about a, a faucet that's barely on. I think about something very minuscule, pretty unimpactful, just a, a trickle, just a little tiny trickle. But the trickle, it becomes a stream, or where I grew up, it becomes a crick. I'm not even sure how to spell that, but anyway, a crick. But it, it's changed, it's, it's grown, it's, it's something is, has happened to it, but yet it's still kind of insignificant when you think about it. But let's keep reading, verse 4. It says, he measures off another thousand cubits, and it was knee-deep, another thousand and the water was up to the waist. Verse five, he measured off a, another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross. As a matter of fact, it says no one could cross it. It's this powerful, life-giving river. In the distance of about 6,000 feet, a little over a mile from here to a little bit past Maras, this trickle of water keeps doubling. It goes from being a trickle to being ankle deep. Think about the distance from ankle to knee. From knee to waist is even further. From waist to over the head, it's even further. Yet there's this doubling, this, this compounding of, of the river that's so staggering. It's a picture of the power of multiplication. So I have a little question for you, and I, I want you to be honest. And see, the problem is when I ask a question, you guys all know it's a trick question because that's what pastors do. They ask you trick questions. So let's pretend it's not a trick question and answer it honestly. So I'm going to give you right now a penny or a million dollars, which are you going to take? Thank you for being honest. There's one honest man in the crowd. He says a million dollars, right? A penny or a million dollars? Now, I did this with, me, with some other people. They're like, well, I'm sure it's going to be the penny because why would you ask a question? Okay, and some of you, you don't want to take the million dollars because you don't want it to ruin your life. Like, I don't need all that money. I just want you to know, in this case, you can always donate the million dollars to your favorite church. So you're off the hook. But which do you want, a penny or a million dollars? Come on. A million dollars. Okay. Well, what if I told you that I'm going to double your penny every day, but only for 30 days? So tomorrow, which is Monday, I'm going to give you two cents. And then on Tuesday, I'm going to give you four cents. And then on Wednesday, I'll give you eight cents. You guys are good at this. Thursday, we're up to 16 cents. Good news, by Friday, you're up to 32 cents. So who wants the penny doubled for 30 days and who wants the million dollars? The penny, because at the end of 30 days, I'm going to give you 
$368,709, and don't forget your 12 cents. That's the power of, of multiplication. That's the power of something doubling every day. In just 30 days, the penny becomes $5,368,709. That's the picture of God doing something more than you can ask, think, or imagine. That's the vision that Ezekiel has, this river that starts as a trickle, that becomes ankle deep, that becomes knee deep, that becomes waist deep, that becomes over the head. But it doesn't just stop there because it says it, it flows into the sea and something phenomenal is happening. What starts as a trickle becomes a, a powerful movement of God. Let's look real quick at verses 6, the second part of verse 6 through 9, because I want you to get the, the picture of what happens with this river. He said, he led me back to the bank. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salt water becomes fresh. Swarms of living creature live wherever the river flows. There are large numbers of fish because this water flows and it makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Did you hear that? So where the river flows, everything will live. Did you hear me? So where the river flows, everything will live. And the river is the Spirit of God. And where the Spirit of God flows, where the Spirit of God moves, where the Spirit of God comes, what comes with it? Life. And not just life, but this picture of amazing, abundant life. So when we were in, in Israel this summer, we got a chance to swim in the Dead Sea. So this is us actually, well, that's a, you can't really swim in the Dead Sea. That's us floating in the Dead Sea. And, and unless you've been there, you can't really describe it because it's actually harder to 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 stand than it is to float like that. It's if you ever played around with those water wings or when you were little had water wings, it's like you have water wings on your ankles and on your arms. You just your feet actually will flip out in front of you and that is the most comfortable position. You don't have to do anything to stay in that position. You just float because of the amount of salt that's in the water. It's it's a crazy, crazy experience. Matter of fact, there's so much salt in the water that you go you get dehydrated in the water which is kind of like a weird thought. But in that water, you stay in too long, you're going to get super dehydrated. And now's a good time to take that picture of me without my shirt off the screen because we've all got it. We got the graphic there. So well, I'll, I'll think about our photo ops in the future and make sure I wear a shirt. But anyway, the Dead Sea is dead. Apart from us, and those few tourists that climb into the water, there is nothing living in the Dead Sea. Again, I was reading about it this week, and it said on rare occasions when the water flows into the Dead Sea, bacteria will live for a little while. So sometimes they can find bacteria in it, but the longer the bacteria is there, eventually even the bacteria dies. And if you think about this, it's amazing because think about all the places where there's life on Earth. So you go thousands of feet below the sea where there's no light. They're still discovering new forms of, of life. There's life all over down there where there's absolutely no light and, and all that pressure, and, and, but there's life there, right? I mean, there's, in the, in the hottest of deserts, there's life. No life in the Dead Sea. And, and this amazes me because life is all around us. It grows everywhere. So I have this deck in my backyard. It's made out of brick pavers. I put it in a few years ago. Every summer, I spend an inordinate amount of time battling little weeds that want to grow up between those bricks. And I even put this, like, special, like, non-growing earth between the bricks. Yeah, like, apparently not, right? But here's, it's made not to grow anything. I can't grow things in my garden, but I can grow plants on my deck. Kind of annoying. But anyway, 
You're battling that. You know, think we have plants that grow in the cracks in our parking lot, right? You have plants that grow on the side of buildings where there's no, so- I mean, it's amazing where life can spring up. And so we have this amazing visual of this, this picture of the spirit of God moving. And it says it goes to the Dead Sea. What makes it so exciting to me is the Dead Sea, it can't get any more dead than the Dead Sea. He picked the, the perfect place so the river flows there and the Dead Sea doesn't just become a little bit of life. It be, it's, it's springing with life. There's fish everywhere. It's, there's, it's just this beautiful picture of, of God taking what's dead and making it alive. To me, this is the exciting truth of the vision. God takes the deadest place on earth and makes it abundant with life. The Spirit of God brings life to what was dead. The Spirit of God brings life to what was dead. It's a portrait of the gospel. It's a portrait of the gospel. It's a picture of my own life, that I was dead, and in Christ, I'm alive. It's a picture of my marriage that was dead, and in Christ, it's alive. It's amazing because because Christ is brought, because the Spirit of God has moved in our lives, and we have this this amazing marriage now. Romans chapter 8. Don't miss this. Romans chapter 8 says that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in you. This powerful, life-giving spirit, the spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in you. You should clap for that. So we have this amazing vision, and Ezekiel sees these trees growing by the river, and he says that they, they bear fruit in every season, and their leaves are used for healing. And, and so if you go into the scriptures, again, the best, the best way to interpret scripture is through scripture. You go to Psalm 1, go to uh, Jeremiah 17. These are passages that describe men or people as trees planted by a river whose roots go deep and draw nutrient out of the river, and it says they bear fruit in every season, that they, they, they don't wither when the drought comes, that they don't crumble in the midst of a storm and their leaves are used for healing remember when i talked about the spirit of god is to fill you it's to fill you to overflowing and the spirit of god flows through you and it interacts you are to be an agent of healing as the spirit moves through you in your community in your neighborhood in your family that's the economy that god is 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 showing us in this incredible vision of ezekiel i'm captivated by the imagery I love the picture of abundant life. He's describing the Garden of Eden, but the Garden of Eden Eden springs forth from what's completely dead. It's God's economy. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about this thing we call impact. Um, But before I move to that, I just want to give you a chance to reflect for a minute on the power of this truth. And the question I would ask you is, where do you need to experience life? What is it that's dead in your, in your relationships, in your own feelings? Where do you need to experience life? And not just a little life, but abundant life. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in a relationship with one of your kids. Maybe it's just you. Maybe you just feel dead. You feel numb to what's going on in the world. It's just, I want to just give you a minute of silence. And I just want to encourage you to invite the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, invite that Spirit to bring life into where you need to experience life. So just pray on your own, just in a moment of silence, just pray.
Lord, may we be captivated by the truth of your word that you desire to bring life into the deadest of places. Whether it's our home, broken relationships, maybe it's just the darkness of depression. Lord, I pray that you would bring life. That we would be bold enough to throw our arms open and to receive your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So the vision of Ezekiel, it's a, it's a portrait of the church when we get it right, when we are all in, fully devoted, tapped into the Spirit of God individually and corporately. It's, it's something that God does in us and through us. It's this river of God that's flowing through the church. Today we launched something we call Immeasurably More Impact. It's our impact campaign for 2016. We've done this every year for the last several years. And every year we invite everyone at Grace to participate in Impact. It's a, a way for us to uh, raise awareness of what God is doing, but to also raise uh, finances for what God is doing and to really launch the next phase. And we believe this year in particular, God is asking us to raise money, not just for this year, but for the decades to come to really prepare the church for the immeasurably more that he is calling us to do. And one of the things I'm going to do over the next few weeks is I'm going to share some of the stories of grace, the, how God has used grace to uh, have an impact. And, and one of the stories I want to start with is Eagle Sports. And the best way I know to tell the story is to invite my friend Donovan to come up. And yeah, you can clap. I'm fine. So Donovan has been a part of Eagle Sports for some time, and, and I just want you to hear a little bit of his story. Uh, if nothing else, it encourages me, but I think the story will encourage you as well. So let's welcome Donovan to the stage. Welcome back. Say whatever you said the first service, because it was really good. Hey, uh, so Donovan was one of our interns last summer. Uh, he was awesome. He's a great intern. That basically means he does a lot of really unpleasant work and doesn't get paid for it. It's perfect. It's a great thing. Um, but he was here for the good part of the summer. But Donovan and my relationship goes back um, a lot further than that. So Donovan, why don't you tell everyone how we came to uh, know each other? Okay, so um, it started uh, when I was five years old. Uh, my parents found a baseball registration form in my book bag. So they registered me Were for... Were you hiding it? No. My, I was bringing it home. I just didn't present it, I guess. So uh, so they uh, registered me for baseball, and um, that's where it all started. And I played baseball from when I was five until I was about 14. In Eagle Sports. So what are you doing right now? Let everybody know what's, what's going on with Donovan these days. So right now I'm uh, a full-time student, sophomore at Eastern Michigan University. And I also mentor uh, freshmen in uh, my brother's keepers program called the Brotherhood Scholar uh, Initiative, where we basically pair and put freshmen in a position to be mentor and shadow upperclassmen to ensure the success through their first year and throughout their college experience. Isn't that cool? It's awesome. So tell me, how has being a part of Eagle Sports impacted your life? Wow. So um, Eagle Sports was a huge part of my life. Um, Eagle Sports was one of the first and most significant contributors to my faith. Um, Eagle Sports taught me lessons that uh, that stuck with me forever, and uh, I and it taught me how to apply those to every part of my life. 
Cool. Tell me about your family. How has Eagle Sports impacted your family? So uh, my dad was a coach and my mom was a team mom. My dad was actually my coach. Until for, you fired him. Yeah, I fired him after. He, I remember. I remember he, he went AWOL to a different team. Yeah. That team won more. I don't know what the yeah, deal was. Yeah, we won like three back-to-back championships. Yeah, so. after he left his dad. But hey, a, we don't want to talk about that. It's so um, I feel every family needs a, a common ground. They need somewhere where uh, parents and children can meet and grow together. Uh, Eagle Sports is that for my family. Uh, as Like I said, my dad was a coach. My mom was the team mom for so long, and me as a player. We would come home, we would talk about the games, we would talk about the lessons that we learned about Christ and how we could implement those in our everyday life. Uh, like I said, it, it really helps with growth. Uh, those lessons really, really stick with you and they help you apply those to every facet of your life, whether it's in the game, uh, outside of the game, whether you lose a game or you lose a family member, it, it, the, you can take those lessons with you anywhere you go. That's cool. That's great. So. Um, you outgrew the team. We go, if you don't know, uh, Eagle Sports surveyed just 4 to 14. You got older than 14. Tell us how you've stayed, invo- stayed involved with Eagle Sports because I love that part of the story. So uh, when I turned 15 and I was too old to play, I took the uh, assistant coach position under my dad. Uh, even after all Even that, after I left him, yeah. he hired me back. <laughs> and uh, I was assistant coach for about a year and a half. And um, my dad stopped coaching, and I actually took the position of a head coach. And I was a head coach from the time I was 15 and a half until I was 18 years old. And then after I started college, uh, I was offered an internship position with Eagle Sports. Yeah, you did great. So tell me how Jesus fits into your life now. Uh, Jesus fits everywhere into my life. A lot, a lot of that has to deal with the lessons that I, that I learned through Eagle Sports. Uh, like I said, the morals and life lessons that Eagle Sports teaches you, you can apply them to every facet. So the practice from when you're four years old until you're 14 of putting Jesus and Christ into every part of your life is become it, the repetition. It becomes natural. So anything you go through tough, you know, okay, this moral, I, I got to put Jesus here, find out what I need to do, and just talk to God. Uh, that most definitely. So I'm going to pray for you, um, but I said at the first service, and so maybe it's good for you to hear it again. If you mess up at Eastern, I'll be down there straighten <laughs> you out, so keep it straight. Lord, thanks for uh, Donovan. Thanks for just uh, his story, how it encourages me. Uh, I hope it encourages the body here just to the good work that you've been doing um, through this little thing called baseball, and I just pray that you would bless him. I pray that he would continue to have uh, a huge impact as he mentors uh, incoming freshmen, as he um, just grows into the leader that you've clearly made him to be. Uh, Thank you that we've had a chance just to uh, be on the journey with him, and not just with him, but with his entire family, and seeing them now just an active part of grace, and and finding their faith as a family is just, uh, I couldn't ask for anything different. So just bless him, pour out your spirit in him, help him to have a huge impact at Eastern. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you. So these uh, banners, I remember when they came to me a month or so ago and they told me what they were going to do and how we were going to put the banners up. I really didn't think about it a lot then, but uh, on Thanksgiving, 
uh, I, I came in and I actually was just standing right here and I was looking at this banner and I just began to sort of uh, tear up as I looked at that bottom number. Um, 21,671 kids have had Donovan's experience and been a part of Eagle Sports. That's That is not just humbling, it's, um, it's a picture of Ezekiel's vision. Because I remember when we started Eagle Sports and there was uh, barely 60 kids that showed up for that first soccer league. Um, I remember push mowing the soccer fields because that's the only mower we had and we were just going to do soccer. And we, just, we just wanted a venue to tell kids about Jesus. Uh, no one was a genius here, we just we just were faithful and we showed up and what started as a trickle it, it grew and now there's literally a couple thousand kids every year that that play in the sports program and kids are learning to read and you know you look at the numbers like the the mentoring stuff it blows my mind how God has taken something so small and because of the spirit of God and the life he brings and has grown it and developed it I want to share one more story because it just uh I know we don't have much time here but that number on the top I want to just tell you that story. So uh, we had a young couple here at Grace in the early 60s, and God called them to go to Morocco to be missionaries. If you don't know anything about Morocco, it's Muslim. It was Muslim in the 60s. It's Muslim now, and uh, it's not a safe place uh, for anyone to go and, and tell people about Jesus, but they went anyway. And they were in Morocco for a few years, and they were discovered as missionaries, and so they were expelled. They were kicked out of the country, but they knew God wanted to have an impact in that country, so they set up a camp, if you will, in a little place called Malaga, Spain, which is right across the Straits. If you look on a map, it's Spain. It's just a short little boat ride into Africa, into Morocco. And they began to broadcast the message of Jesus by radio into Morocco. And when they first started, it just blows me away. When they first started, they could only broadcast three half hours a week. So an hour and a half a week. And it cost them $12,000 a week to broadcast for an hour and a half each week. But they raised the money and they broadcasted the gospel into this little country where basically there were no believers. There was no church established. And even the church that's there now is, is pretty small when you think about the size of the country. But they, they raised the money and they broadcast the gospel into it. And to date, 63,000 people have signed up for Bible correspondence through their broadcasting into Morocco. Is that not the coolest thing? There is a church in Morocco, and it's small, and we've been there, and they meet in secret in houses, and uh, it's there because of the work that started with this young couple that was sent in the early 60s from this church, and they were faithful, and what started as a trickle grew and has become something amazing. Now it's, it's a beautiful thing because with the internet, they can broadcast 24-7. They have TV stations that broadcast in the Morocco. They still do radio, but the main stuff is through uh, the internet and through TV, and people are coming to Christ, and people are contacting them about follow-up and taking these Bible correspondence classes. It's a, it's a beautiful picture of this vision being lived out. I had a meeting last night with somebody and they were asking me about impact. What is this immeasurably more impact? What's it, what's it all about? What are you guys trying to do? And the truth of the matter is we've really stepped out this year and we're gonna 
asked the Lord to raise $800,000 to prepare this church for what he has next, to give to our partners, to, to get us ready for the next decade of ministry. Just so you know, that's more than double what we've raised in the past. But I believe that's what God is calling us to. And, and we ask for it with no apologies because I believe that God wants us all in. He wants us to, to really give to this thing in a way that really unleashes his spirit. And one of the ways he'll do that is through our gifts. If you're a visitor today, you don't have to worry about it. This isn't for you. But I'm asking every person who calls Grazer Home to prayerfully ask the Lord, how do you want me to participate in this immeasurably more campaign? The question was asked last night, what is this all about? And I wrote these words um, prior to, but they, they answer the question better than anything I could say. Immeasurably more impact is about advancing. It's about movement. It's about seeing the river of the Spirit of God growing and impacting more and more people, bringing life to dead places. It's about being the church we've been called and equipped to be, not just next year, but in the decade ahead. It's about reaching our redemptive potential. It's about storming the gates of hell. Immeasurably more impact is about unleashing the Spirit of God in the lives and the hearts of this community. It's about establishing His church, not just here at Maras and I-94, but around the world in places like Morocco. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to share more stories. I hope that you get as excited about what God is doing as, as I am, and I hope that you would begin to pray. On December 20th, We'll take up an offering, and you can give one time. You can make a pledge for what you want to give in the coming year, but we're going to raise $800,000, and we're going to put that into the river, and we're going to watch God do immeasurably more than we can ask, think, or imagine. Let's pray. Amen. So, Lord, I just pray that you would bless this campaign. I pray that you would bless the vision of grace, not the vision of Doug Kempton, but the vision that you've placed in this church 117 years ago, a church that was sending young couples to crazy places like Morocco where you could die for saying Jesus. But they went, and you've used them, and that story continues in so many profound ways, and we'll hear those stories. But Lord, I just pray that you would, you would allow us to catch the vision, the vision of Ezekiel, of something that's just a trickle growing and becoming a, a movement of God that changes the world. Lord, thanks for the privilege you've given us to do a ministry at Moras and I-94. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be the church you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. As you know, we are always uh, excited about praying for you. So if you have a prayer request, as even as we talked about the need for life, stirred something in you, we'd love for you to come down and we will pray with you. God bless. Have a great Sunday afternoon.